Okay. All right. It's Greg's Garage Pablo Code, Jason Primor, presented by Bike911.com. I'm Greg White. And right there, well, if you can see him, you can see him. If you can't see him, he's there by voice. Jason Pridmore, what's going on, dude? How are you? What is up, G-Dub? How's life? Oh, you know, just uh, off the Revolver, bro. Three weeks, yeah. You know, I went to Vegas, then I went to the uh, week before, then I was in Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and it was unbelievable, JP. I mean, I was on the air for uh, 17 and a half hours no over the span wow. of 27 hours. Wow. So that was that was kind of nuts, honestly, because like I had talked to Diffie yesterday and he just got done doing the Rolex 24. And I was like, how often are you guys in shifts? He's like, oh, maximum three hours. You you can't you can't be any good and go three hours as a play by play and and a commentating crew. And I was like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Brain got fried. And then I had a six hour drive home, Jay. And I'm still tired, man. What about you? I saw you posted on on uh, Instagram that you got the COVID. Yeah, you know, it's been, it, I never get sick. I never have really any big issues, you know, but like December 31st, I hurt my knee, like walking, playing golf, of course. I, I didn't mm. jar it or nothing. And um, and then like that same week, we had to leave and go to Chuckwalla and my knee was hurting me and I had a little problem with one of my ears. I was like, what is going on with me? Maybe it's just, maybe it's finally happening. And then when we were out <laughs> at Chuck, you know, maybe it's finally happening and then you know, we're at Chuck Walla for CVMA and then I get the call on Monday, everybody's got COVID and, you know, just the Omnicrom thing. And for me, I don't ever really get sick. And that Tuesday I tested negative and then I was just knocked on my, my butt for like two days. And when I say that, I mean, like I was, I was sick. Like I was in bed Wednesday, Thursday, mm-hmm. majority of the day, Friday, tested positive on Friday, then tested positive again Sunday. Um, and then tested negative last Thursday night and Friday I test finally. So I've just been kind of locked in a little bit and, um, you know, just not feeling my best, but kind of feeling a little bit better today, a little bit better. So good. it's good. So you're negative yeah. and you're feeling better today. You're going to be able yeah, to yeah, yeah. club today. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, for me, the biggest problem is just not having a spleen and, you know, there's some precautions I have to take just in case I get sick, sick, you know. But, um, but no, I'm, I'm, I, I came through it pretty well. It was just like two days I was knocked on my ass, you know? Dude, I totally, but, I mean, I know you have no soul and you have no heart, but I forgot correct. you don't have a spleen. A spleen either. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I'm missing them all, all. Yeah. I'm missing all the important ingredients. Tin man, you know? Yeah. But well, anyway, yeah, look, so, the, but now yeah. January's over. So it's a new month. Let's hope it's, let's hope it's a better one. It is. It's February 1st, and it's a very depressing day. It was all I could do to dig myself out of this massive depression. And and the problem, it hit, Jay. I know why. Come on. I want to hear it. It it was fake. It was fake Saturday night. I think it was, no, Sunday, uh, Saturday, Sunday. It was fake on Sunday. Yeah. And now it's real. And and, and I I mean, I don't even know how to talk about it without getting choked up. I mean, it's... You want me to just say it for you? No, I'll say it. I'll say it. I've got to man up and say it. Tom Brady has officially... (laughs) <laughs> he's retired he's gone g-dub dude don't say he's gone he's just retired Maybe. that's it i just hope he goes into the hall of fame as a buck listen if tom brady goes into the hall of fame <laughs> as a buck then every tom brady jersey i have gets coined. i mean I'm yeah gonna just, i figured i'm gonna do that whole redneck thing and i'm gonna set it on fire you know because Tom Brady doesn't care anymore. The sales are done, and people burning up their own property always kind of cracks me up. Like, hey, you know, you know what's funny is, doesn't it seem like yesterday when he was forty, going, "I'm playing until I'm forty-five, and everybody's like, "Yeah," and he's forty-four right now. In fairness, he hasn't quite got to the old forty-five yet. But, but, I mean, the guy led in so many categories this year too. Just, in, just incredible. What a run! I mean, have they announced MVP yet? Because I know he's who, in the. Who, who are we going to see? I mean, I know we're not a football podcast, but who's coming <laughs> through right now that's going to be Tom Brady? No, nobody. I mean, Will nobody. we ever see the no, likes nobody's... of him again? Ever. You, I mean, you have to say... the endorsement. There's guys that have chances to be good, to be great, but there's nobody that's, that I could sit there and earmark seven Super Bowls. And I mean, listen, there's some great arms. There's some great intelligence in the league, yep. okay? But I think part of Brady's longevity... And, you know, to tie this to motorcycle racing, too, yeah. part of the longevity we see as riders now 
versus say in the 70s, 80s, 90s has to do with electronics and people are getting, you know, uh, advances in safety gear, you know, airbags and all this kind of stuff. But Tom Brady's, Tom Brady's traction control, high side control, wheelie control, launch control, airbag, better helmets is being a pocket quarterback. I mean, the guy barely has over a thousand yards yards rushing. Yeah. Yeah. But you know what I'm saying? Like he's, he's, he's a guy who he has, he has barely a thousand yards rushing in 22 years of football. So he spent a lot of time in the pocket, you know, obviously rules changed later on in the league that kind of protected the quarterback a little bit more, which helps the longevity of it all. But you look at guys that are really good in the NFL right now. um, Like uh, Josh Allen from, from, you know, the bills is a good example. These are mobile quarterbacks. And I think what we've seen is, you know, a mobile quarterbacks only last in five to six years. Even Russell Wilson started off as a mobile quarterback and he does have the ability to scramble, but you know, he's more of a pocket quarterback now, you know? Yeah, no, it's going to, it's going to be interesting to see where it's going to be interesting to see where it all goes. I got something that'll make you feel old. I was sitting in, I, you know, I watch our show every, uh, every night, pardon the interruption. I love those guys. Oh yeah. Uh, Will Bond and Kornheiser. They crack me up, but Mm -hmm. I'm sitting there last night and I'm like, well, with Brady retiring at 44 years old, I'm going to make Greg feel really old today. Mm. Nolan Ryan turned 75 yesterday. Oh, did he really? Nolan Ryan. So, Yeesh. so childhood hero, and they, right? And, and they were talking about him pitching till he was 46 years old. You know, still throwing heat. And it's like, wow, Nolan Ryan's 75. Wow. So yeah, and he was pitching till he was 46 before. All this, you know, science, right? Like this, Correct. you know, like part part Correct. of the reason that got Brady to go so long or is this technique that he started, I, th- I want to say it was probably 10 years ago, you know, but um, in terms of like, you know, they what they've determined like tennis elbow and those types of things is, is the not um, following through the motion with the weight. So with a tennis racket, it's like bang and it stops. So yeah. part of what Brady has been doing for a number of years was these techniques that use these weighted balls like the kind of size of baseballs or whatever and different balls different weights and you actually follow through you never let the ball leave your hand so you continuously Ah, go through the mud and it's part of what's kept his arm fresh and i know that that's a thing that pitchers are doing now to try to get rid of shoulder issues get rid of elbow issues you know same thing with us jay i mean if you look back in the 1970s and how some racers made a long career out of it some didn't you know Kenny Roberts used to tell me the stories like when he got in there in what, 77 or something, no one yep. was working out. No one went no. to the gym. I mean, these guys would smoke cigarettes, go get on a bike, go in winter circle, smoke another cigarette. Half the reason they went fast is because they were dying for another cigarette, you know? Phil and, Reed, uh, Gary Nixon, uh, uh, Barry Sheen. I mean, these a guys were of all, people, right? It's, it's just different. Just like, but just like a lot of the TT regulars, I think you can say that for the Isla Man as well. There's a number of the old school. There's a number of the old school mentality there, where it was like go out and have two pints at night and get hammered and and then be on the yeah. roads the next day. And I think that now that you've got these younger generations of the Peter Hickmans and things that have changed the game at the Isle of Man, they've changed the game. They're younger, they're stronger, they're fitter, they're they're taking care of their bodies more and. It goes even back to what I talked about <clears throat> after I rode that attack bike. I think that the bikes now are that much more physical to ride because you can get away with so much more and you can override these bikes because there's things there that help you that I think fitness is probably bigger now than it was when I was racing. Um, <clears throat> you were held back by things back in the day. You could be fit. You could be overfit. But at the end of the day, there was only so many things that the bike could really let you get away with. So you had a limitation. And I think now the bikes will allow you to get away with more so you could push harder, which exerts a little more energy out of you. Well, I mean, look, look, we talked about it last week's podcast. Look at the shape that Garrett Gerloff's in right now. I mean, that dude posted some photos and you were like, I'm sorry, what cover of GQ are you going to be on? Yeah, yeah. but, it, but did he overdo it? No, he, he didn't overdo it because that's what he's going to need, especially for confidence, right? That's what you're going to need to be that fit these days. And it, it makes a lot of sense. But the difference is, you know, Jay, you know, in those mid 2000s area uh, era, right? Like you, there were guys that were coming down with Epstein-Barr virus that were getting sick. And, yes. you know, nobody really knows what it is, but I can draw a line, an unscientific line to say that during that time, you know, Ben Bostrom, 
uh, Larry Pegram, uh, Matt Maladin, like those guys that really had it. It was, I think a lot of it had to do with overtraining, the stress that you put yourself Agreed. through. Every day was a max heart rate day. And so as science progresses too, it becomes more focused. And that's allowing these riders to do a lot more things, you know, yes. and, and get away with more. And th there's mental training as well that go into it. And, and teaching people how to stay focused for these 43-minute MotoGP races or 23-minute Moto America races, you know, it's, it's a... It's a combination of things. I think we've seen, you know, the evolution of, oh, you're just naturally talented. I think that's what was going on in the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. People that could get away with drinking and smoking and but just were unbelievable on the bike. Then you started getting like some training in there. Now you're getting the the balance of mental yeah. training, of riding, right? Because we see people training on on dirt bikes constantly. On everything. To, Super to actually get bikes the mechanics. All that stuff. Yeah, yep. not just not just road bicycles like we were doing in the mid 2000s when it was so popular well, i think a lot of a, a lot of guys were motoing back in the day when when i was you know when i was racing there was a number of guys still motoing and doing all that yeah. stuff so i think that that um but you know like you bring up matt and some of those guys that were obsessed with like i used to always tell josh hayes that he was overfit which he was he i mean the guy is you know he goes and pounds out the miles on the bicycle he goes out and pounds out the motors on the motocross bike for Josh, that's what he had to do to give himself the edge. That Josh was very mental in the side of, you know, when he felt amazing and when he he felt the strongest, he felt inevitable. Like nobody could touch him, nobody could beat him, and, invincible, yeah, and yeah. it was very invincible. And so, um, and and you know, the guy could go a full race distance, and you could probably fill the bike up with fuel, and he could go do it again. You know, which fair play to him. But I think that's what it took for him because if you remember, the guy he had to beat was Matt Maladin. And Matt was Matt worked really hard as well. And so when you look at it, that example was set. And I think Josh worked really, really hard to, to do that. And that's why he still, at this day and age, can still go out and do the Daytona 200, you know? Yeah. But the reverse of that was the mentality of Colin Edwards. And I remember you know talking yep. to Colin about this and reading a quote where Colin was like, I don't train because for him, he was like, look, if I missed a day, mentally, it's going to set me back. So I knew if I missed a day of training or two, and then I went to a race, I'm like, well, Haga didn't miss it, or Troy Bayless didn't miss it, you know, whoever he's racing against at the time. So Colin's mindset, and this is knowing yourself, right? Colin's mindset was, I'm just going to go out, ride motorcycles and have fun, and I'm, I'm, yeah. bike, I'm bike fit and bike ready. And I don't ever remember Colin having some type of a trend where he would no. start fading at the end of races or anything like that. So nope. he did it. It worked for him. And if you remember, Haga said that his his former training was casual sex. Remember that? Yeah, Whole yeah, yeah. But if you look at Haga and you look at Colin and you look at their body types, you could tell that Haga had to be careful because he'd always get a bit bigger in the winter and things. Where where Colin was always just a super skinny rail of a kid. So some of it's going to be genetics and so on and so forth. So I think that uh, when you look at... You know, the paddock as a whole, everybody's got their story. Everybody's got their way to give themselves the edge that they felt that they needed. And, um, and you know, so I think that when you look at old school to new school, I, I don't know how much has really changed in the mentality because there were guys that used to train all the time. Like when you go back and you look at some of the old motocrossers, you know, the guys like Bailey and Brock Glover and, and Wardy, I mean, those guys trained hard back in the day to moto, right? And mm -hmm. it you could you could arguably say now it would be really fun to sit Jeff Ward down and go are the bikes easier to ride now than they were then because now the bikes look more powerful and they they probably have some some things that are a little bit easier for motocross bikes but you know it's 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 interesting to talk to those guys to see because I I feel like there's been such a huge huge gap in motorcycles from. You know, when I raced in the late 90s to early 2000s to, to now, in 20 years, I've seen a huge, huge... Uh, yeah, like a huge gap in the advancement of the bikes. A huge gap in the advancement of the yeah. bikes, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So. all this from a Tom Brady, from Tom Brady retiring. I appreciate you distracting me from the tears, JP, but... Well, uh, I had to I had to let you acknowledge that it's, it's Tom, it's Brady. And this will, you know, it's February 1st, 2022. When we're sitting here in 2025, in we're going to sit there and go, wow, three years ago, Tom Brady retired. Should I put it in my calendar? Because in my calendar, it says it's the Lunar New Year, and then I'm, I'll put in the, the day Tom Brady officially retired. Just put a tear. You'll know what it means. Right before, right before Groundhog Day. Yeah, yeah just put a tear in there. Is. 
By the way, this podcast uh, I mentioned is, is brought to you by bike911.com. So if you need some legal help, need some legal advice, then go to a person who understands your language. If you're a motorcycle rider on the street, even if you're a racer and need some contracts done or whatever, go talk to Alex Asante, bike911.com. Give the office a call. Uh, this week's podcast, we're going to talk about Supercross from Anaheim, California, number two. Um, and of course, we have news presented by Arai that's going to have a bunch of stuff in it. And uh, we'll talk about fantasy. But I mean, this should be a pretty quick one, JP, because there's not yeah. a ton of stuff to talk about. Yeah. But um, if you want to support us on the Patreon page, go ahead and do that. We do have a special, um, if you're part of the Patreon and you get in there, we have a special uh, RMX Fantasy that we're playing with Jonathan Ray, World Superbike champion many times over over the years who is gunning we're going to talk more about him in news in a second uh if you want to just you know go ahead and, and slide us some support we always appreciate it that money goes directly into jason's uh golf habit so it's yeah, like right if you could it. grind the clubs up into coke that's it'd be like a like a habit from the <laughs> that's 80s. what it would be yeah 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 yeah, yeah. coke Got habit it. from the 80s that's his that's his golf habit now he gets very oh, yeah. very little sponsorship in golf so if you're a golf, uh, you know, if you own any. Titleist or you own, you know, Cobra Golf Club, I don't know. Just go ahead and support Jason. Um, uh-huh. All right. Should we? <laughs> no, great. I know you get a that little That was a nice love. little rant. That's good. Now everybody's going to think I'm a raging cokehead. How, how great was it to get a text, though, the other day from, uh, from, uh, from, from Asante? It was good getting oh, a text yeah, from no, that Asante was great. the other day. Yeah, that, like, yeah, that yeah, was really good. I mean, it, he, wants to get out to, he wants to get out to the track, so, you know. You need to get your ticket. So Greg and I, like our schedules right now are so crazy. So Greg's been all over the map because we want to get some guests on the podcast. But to be fair, Greg and I never really know when we're going to do this, do we? We like, we try to get it in. It's it's <laughs> amazing what, idea. It's, what like it's like to week. carve an hour or two in uh, of podcast. And, and thank goodness there's not a ton of information to go through. I know we've got some MotoGP testing that has started, some World Superbike stuff that, you're, that we're going to talk about. But it's a matter of just carving that hour away because i definitely want to get some people on the podcast right now but uh you know i saw that sdk and i think that i think joe roberts leaves on the fifth but sdk already took off and went over to spain i saw that by his instagram so everybody's getting kind of kicked off right now i will tell you this jay so i'm i go to vegas tomorrow morning i'm in i'm there for the vegas shoot i'm shooting and i'm commentating i'm home monday at like four o'clock in the afternoon i believe but then Mm -hmm. i am actually i say this and this is a maybe, it's a big maybe, but I should be home until I leave for Daytona. So it's almost a month. So oh, I'll good. definitely okay. start getting some, I'll reach out to some people and, and get some people, even if it's the old fashioned way where I just get to record them and then we can talk about it. Uh, we'll get some more people on the podcast because I want to get yeah. some more exclusive content uh, up there for our Patreon supporters as well, because they've been so awesome uh, with yep. us. Um, yep. The only yep. thing yep. that I might do is I might go to Foley, Alabama to shoot a tournament, which I normally commentate. But I'm not doing that series this year because there's too many conflicts conflicts yeah, with Moto America. Yeah, I remember you saying that. Yeah. So I'm kind of free to shoot it, and I'm like, do I do I bother? You know, go down there. But that would be like a Thursday through Saturday type thing, anyway. So yeah, yeah, that. yeah. We'll figure um, we'll figure it all out. I got some Chuck Walla time coming up, and I'm gonna yeah. be out, I'm gonna be out there for a week again. So it's you know I'll probably have to do the podcast from out there, Simon's Garage. So anyway, get done. All right, all right. So now let's get to our news presented by Arai. And you see how I worked the volume this time, see? It's pretty good. I'm pretty good. I'm learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, 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 uh. All right, well, since it is the news presented by Arai, have you ever tried on a helmet in a store and then you rode with it a few hours to find that it was uh, maybe a little bit too tight? Maybe it broke in and it was even a little bit too loose. You know, maybe even put on a little bit of weight and you found the same thing. But if you're in a Arai helmet, don't worry about it. If it's too tight, Arai models come equipped with a removable foam layer on the cheek pads and the temple area of the liner that adjusts by simply removing five millimeter layers. And that's all you need to do. And if you found that you have a helmet that fits a little bit too loose, you can always go to Arai and get yourself larger interior parts. Another reason to check out AraiAmericas.com. For more information on Arai helmets, AraiAmericas.com. Okay, let's get into this thing, Jason, because... Do it. All right, hold on. I got to make sure the volume is up for this, okay? So this is a whole thing. I got to hit pause, and I've got to turn the volume up because last week we told you that there were some uh, some of the World Superbike paddock and World Supersport riders were taking the track at Jerez for a test. Now, normally, I would tell you all about this stuff, but instead, there is a, a, a like a free highlight package that was on worldsbk.com, 
and it's got even motorcycle noises and stuff. So I thought I would yeah. play you this clip to give you the updated information. So enjoy this. We'll be back when it's done. 2022 is underway as the first wheels of the year turned in World SBK at the Circuito de Jerez and El Nieto. After sitting out the action on day one and opting to watch from the sidelines, 2021 runner-up Jonathan Ray took to the circuit in the second half of the second day to hit the top of the timesheet. The only rider to get into the 138, Ray and his team were reconfirming chassis items and new engine components. Whilst on the other side, new dad Alex Lowe's was in fine form, fastest on the first day and second on day two. He focused on corner exits and chassis items as well as new parts from Showa Suspension. A 1-2 for Kawasaki at Jerez, a good way to start the season. Honda only tested on the first of the two days, but it was productive. Both Xavi Vierge and Ika Lequona showed good signs as they made their returns to action and being a constant feature at the top. Second and third after day one, plenty of hard work was done inside the box and on the track. Team HRC were trialling Showa suspension, a change from last year's Oland, as well as Nissan Brakes, a change from Brembo. With no testing on day two, Javi Vierge watched his 2022 classmates from trackside. The final world superbike rider was Lucas Myers, back from four months out due to a broken wrist after it healed only a month ago. The Frenchman was already on his pace from last year, a positive return to action. Finishing third on day two, Myers and the team worked on a variety of things and appeared to be working on Olin's suspension too. In World Supersport, it was Nicky Tooley who was on top with the MV Augusta, a new engine but still the old chassis. Janon Ju's season started strongly second after the Jerez test as he tried a new brake pump and new brake disc. Turkish rider starting as he means to go on. He's got a new teammate this year and that is Yari Montella, the Italian learning the ropes in World Supersport as he gets ready for his first season of action. A familiar face returned to the track too, Keenan Sofwoglu started the day with MV Augusta but soon moved over to Kawasaki Pachetti as the veteran returned. It was an all-rookie lineup at the GAP Motor Zoo outfit with Ben Curry and Jeffrey Bowes on track, both lapped together at times and improved throughout the test for it all came to a close. 40 hour waits for the next test. You can get all the insights and more on worldsbk.com. Okay, let me address a couple things. Let's Number do it. one, yeah. the last bit, okay, Portimao. Yeah. I have heard a rumor, and Portimao, I, I think, you know, when the, that, that came out, I think almost a week ago, right? Portimao is next week, and I have heard a rumor. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but I'm going to say it anyway. Heard a rumor. Motor that, America's going to Portimao. Not <laughs> kind of. Uh, the Warhorse HSBK racing team is going yeah. to be in Portimao, or Ducati okay. is right, and they're okay. going to have Dunlop tires, and they're going to so they're going to test Dunlops, and they're going to test the VP fuel, because that was a component you know that we keep kind of keep forgetting about is that we have our regulation fuel, and so they're actually a Ducati is going to be working on it, and the rider that's going to be riding that motorcycle, I heard is the rider that's going to be the rider for the season in Moto America, which yeah. more than likely is going to be Danilo Petrucci. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So they're well, actually going to be... That's what saying, and that's what we're hearing, and that's what yeah, that's he what we're hearing. And, and, and actually, and, I have heard that more than likely that it will be announced at the end of this week um, okay. if that's going to happen or not. But I, I did hear it from a very reliable source that... Ducati Dun will have Dunlops and, and the VP fuel, and they're going to be testing specifically to gather data. And that um, I think that Mick Kelly Piero is also going to be on that bike. You know, that's what that's what I'm thinking. So it's going to be Kelly very Piero's interesting. Kelly Piero is my hero. That guy's dude, my hero. He is what a, a job. Absolute stud, man. I mean, the yeah. dude just it, It's rolling. just like, it's, what a job that guy has. Um, yeah, we've talked about him before on the podcast. But All right, so know, that that's one thing to talk about. Great. The second thing... Yeah. Is just so people know when they were talking about Lucas Mayas uh, on the Pachetti Kawasaki, they were trying Olean suspension. That has been confirmed by the the team principal. Uh, the difference is is that the factory team uses Showa suspension. So where you would think that Pachetti Kawasaki could get information from Lowe's and uh, Johnny Ray, I don't know if they were getting that information. I would imagine that would be available now that they're going to go do their own thing. Honda. Yep. 
off of Olean's trying Showa, I thought was very interesting. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing I, I guess that they tested that they didn't mention is, is that uh, Pirelli has come out with a new qualifying tire that's supposed to be absolutely amazing of a tire. Wow. Uh, and, and I'm trying to think if there's, oh, the, the, the Ken and Safaglu thing. We'll talk about that in a second. So after that highlight package, after what I just said, Jason Pridmore, take it away. What do you think? Well, uh, you know, we haven't got to see everybody on track at the same time. The BMWs, the Ducatis, you know, weren't there. So, um, you know, I think that for Kawasaki, there was talk. I talked to Alex a little bit and they, you know, he did half of one day and half of another. And so that's kind of what Johnny, it sounded like he did too. Um, some of the things that they're testing, you know, which is interesting to me, which is good. You know, we know we're ch- they're, they've changed some engine characteristics that I think will make the bike a little bit more uh, active underneath them, hopefully a little bit better. Um, some of the try to bridge the gap to the places that they felt like they had some deficiencies last year. Chassis-wise, I think that they probably made some improvements too. So that, you know, I think that it is testing. It is Jerez in January. The track is usually very, very fast. Um, and I know for a fact that with Alex, he, he mostly was testing race setup stuff. Um, and, and obviously the outright speed is, is something that everybody wants to do there at that place. But I know Jerez can be a little bit quick in January. Um, I think Lucas Mayas, he, he put in some good rides last year, former world super sport champion. I think that all the teams that are going to be now on Kawasaki's <clears throat> will see a performance advantage because now that the you know, whatever their homologation rules are going to be for the Cowie this year, all those teams get to take advantage of it. So Pachetti jumping on to Olin's stuff. I mean, I don't think that could be a step backwards other than he won't be able to probably go through stuff as much with the factory team. I don't know if they were doing any of that anyways, to be honest with you, Greg. I don't think that yeah, there was much know. communication between those two. I don't think, don't know. Um, but the Honda thing is really interesting to me. Uh, I think that the fact that they've jumped suspension companies to try something different um, kind of shows that maybe whatever the current riders probably got to ride last year's bike a fair bit. And maybe they came up with the same kind of stuff that Haslam and uh, Batista had been complaining about or talking about or saying they wish they could get better. And maybe with a switch to just try some different suspension components from another manufacturer. Maybe they're finding what they need. Uh, it sounded like in an interview that I read with Leon Camier that he's really happy. He's got two riders that are very much different uh, in the way they go about their business. Uh, like he was talking, Lekawono is coming from MotoGP with very high sophisticated knowledge of, of electronics and things. And so there's going to be things that he's going to ask for that he's used to from being in a MotoGP bike that maybe they'll be able to bring into this motorcycle. Where Xavi Vierge uh, isn't isn't doesn't have that knowledge of as many as much electronics coming from Moto Two to World Superbike, so he's kind of like the fresh kid. Everything's going to be kind of new to him, and Lecabona is kind of like a somewhat seasoned young guy from Moto GP coming over to World Superbike. Yeah, that's definitely a good way to put it. I can't remember what Honda was on. That's the thing that kind of surprised me because I was under the impression that Showa was owned by Honda. And I, that I believe that true, I thought. Yeah. Honestly. I think and, and they were also trying Nissan brakes, and I think Honda owns Nissan as well. I know that yep. there was a sale there, you know, not too long ago. So I'm pretty sure that that's the case. So, you know, there's always politics that play into it where I think it used to be Yamaha owned Olean's for a while. Um or had a partnership, you know, like owned some of it or something like that. But anyway, you know, sometimes that stuff. But, you know, back in the day when you were a factory Yosh, you had Showa components, as I remember correctly. Yep. Yep. yep so you're, did, you're, yeah. you're so. definitely familiar with that operation. I know that there was a time when, can't remember who it was, claimed Miguel Duhamel's Honda uh, 600 and Daytona 200. Oh, forks. That, well, he claimed the whole bike and it had a fifty, a quote unquote fifty thousand dollars Showa shock on it. Yeah, that was like that. a loaner from Showa, and they couldn't get it back because it was claimed. And and the was, guys at Honda were losing their minds. Oh my god, dude, losing their minds. Well, the funny bit was is like they were on their way to deliver the bike, and the the mechanics were there backing out all the settings and whacking the forks with with uh, screwdrivers because of Nicosil and stuff like that. That uh, I can't. Who did that? I can't remember who. I I, it. I I know. I would remember if I could just dig into the memory. It wasn't Anthony Fania, was it? 
I guarantee you that our boy Hayes would know. No, oh, yeah, I know he would know. Josh yeah. would know. He has like a Miguel would know too, hundred percent. Um, yeah. But anyway, so interest, interesting stuff that you bring up, Jay, because obviously more testing to come. And, you know, now that everybody kind of is familiar with the rules and, and where some of the rules, the finalization of some of the rules late last season caught Kawasaki by surprise. So now, now they should be uh, they should be good to go. But let's talk about Ken and Safoglu real quick, Jay, because yeah. he got to test the Kawasaki ZX-6R and he got to test the MV Agusta because... I believe his nephew is going to be riding on the MV Augusta team. Um, and he's got, uh, he coaches Jan Anju, who's also Turkish, who's on the Kawasaki team. And obviously, um, you know, world champ, top rack, Razgat Lioglu. So Kenan got to ride both motorcycles. And there were some comments by him, Jay, where he said, you know, he didn't say it directly, but I mean, you can read through the lines that the Kawasaki is a smooth motorcycle. It felt like home to him. They were really yeah. just testing brakes and things like that apparently he was right on pace, like really close, like maybe one second off or something like that, but he was very close on pace. But when he rode the MV Augusta, now the biggest thing is, if you remember last year because of the rules, the MV Augusta as a street bike is an 800. I think it's a seven something triple, right? Yep. Um, so they had a 765 triple in it last year to meet the rules, but now they put the new motor in with the old chassis. So it's now, you know, the, whatever it is, the 800, you know, that they call it. So he rode it, and he said it was more superbike-like. But Nico Tooley, who was the fastest of the world supersport riders, Jay, also said that last year he felt like he crashed a lot because he was on the edge of the tire, too far leaned over, trying to get drives out of the corner where the other people would come off the corner. Now he doesn't have to do that as much, and he feels like he's not going to be crashing nearly as much because it kind of sounds like he's going to ride it more superbike-ish, get into the corner, get it turned, get it upright, and then squirt out of the corner. Yeah. So, But here's the big thing. And this is why I wanted to bring you into this conversation. Kenan Safoglu, in his interview on, on worldsbk.com, which is one of, if you pay for it, you get to see it, basically said, look, I train these three guys. We ride together all the time. Having me on these motorcycles is a tremendous help for him to give feedback and to also, I mean, he's five-time world super sport champ. You know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, and, and to be able to tailor the training that he does with his students, I guess you could say, with his athletes. Yeah. It kind of reminded me of the fact that, you know, the Thursday before we were at Brainerd this year for Moto America, you got on Corey Alexander's bike and you went like one, 1.2 seconds slower than the fastest time of the day. And what you would have been on the second or third row in stock thousand, right? Um, how important is it, do you think, for Safoglu to, to do that, to be able to still prove to his students that he's fast or the athletes that he's fast, but also with you testing the superbike as well? Beyond the most current stuff. Well, it's it's um it's an interesting question because uh, obviously he still has the desire and still has the you know he still loves to ride fast and I think that there's a number of us that I know he's probably he's got to be six or eight years younger than me he's probably forty four or something I think I I think he is anyways but but the thing is is that is that um it's funny that you bring this up even Greg because I'm in a situation right now. <clears throat> Where I feel like I haven't done enough for a couple of the guys that I ride with, and um, I've kind of looked at Corey Alexander and Michael Gilbert and Andrew Lee like they these kids they know what's going on, but it's pretty wild how much they come and ask me for stuff still. And currently, right now, I don't have a bike that I can actually go out and rip laps with them on. Um, so it's funny that this even gets brought up, brought up because. I want to be able to get on a bike and still be able to go and see some things because it just doesn't matter what it is. Every time I go out and ride with them, we'll see something on a video that will spark a question or that something that we can talk about. And if you don't have a bike that you can do that on, it makes it a little harder for me to do. Uh, that said, jumping on Corey's bikes uh, at Brainerd, I was able to see some of the problems and some of the inherent issues that the team were having with that motorcycle that that it gave them another guy to kind of run some things through and try some different stuff and um so so yeah it it does help it is great i you know i still enjoy riding i still enjoy riding um at a decent level and and but i need a bike to be able to do that on so it's like even right now greg even this morning i've been on the phone trying to figure out what am i going to do because i've got three school bikes right now and before I had a kit bike that I could ride and go and have some some good laps on, I don't have that right now. So, but for Kenan, it's huge because 
I think he actually was taking the place of what is it? Is like his nephew or yeah, and I think his nephew? Real, it, yeah, who had COVID, so couldn't test on the Pachetti bike, I believe. And so you know, anyways, he was able to to get on both those bikes, and I thought it was really interesting that he was on the MV because I thought he was a Cowie guy. Like I thought his I thought his nephew is on the MV, and then, maybe that's what it is. And then Jan and, is and then on the, on the Pachetti bike. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But yeah, he's only he's circulating around there a little over a second off. I think what those guys were doing the fastest of the fast. Um, by the way, but, uh, by the way, I want to tell you this. Okay, he's 15 years younger than you are. Oh, is he? Okay, I thought he was like 42 or 44. So, so he's in his late 30s still. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, obviously the guy. I'm just saying you're pretty fast, bro. You were one second off of the 1.4 oh, or, or something like. Yeah. I can't remember. <clears throat> Depends on how you look at the times, you know. So I remember no, back no, in 07 it, yeah. when I didn't qualify on Spees' bike. Like I was Here in the race and then go. Aaron Yates decided to go out and just, he was already on pole and he just went like a little faster and it's then so knocked funny me out. It was, it was totally his just fault. Just because he went out no, and went a grudge. It's not a grudge. I'm just saying, you know what yeah. I mean? Like there's really no reason for him to go out and do that time. That's all I'm he saying. Just, he Same absolutely thing happened killed to you, you at Brainerd. Huh? <laughs> he absolutely killed you. Like he, he crushed it for you. I love Yates. Anyway. Uh, so that's the, the Ken and Safoglu thing. I think it's great that he rode the bike yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Now, on Monday and Tuesday and Wednesday, uh, five Moto, which is tomorrow because we're, we're yep. recording this, five MotoGP rookies uh, tested at Sepang, uh, plus a couple of test riders. Now, no times were available on Monday, really, but we, we because of the private test. I mean, some some lap times came out, but they aren't really official. They're just like people yakety yakking. But yep. Moto2 world champ uh, Remy Garner on the Tech3 KTM uh, was out there despite having a fractured wrist. Uh, Marco Bedzecki on the Moody VR46 racing team. Darren Binder on the With You Yamaha RNF MotoGP team. Fabio D'Antonio on the Grassini Racing. And, dude, the rookie himself, Tech 3 Yamaha's Raul Fernandez. He was the fastest of them all. Somebody did take a screenshot of times on the screen. I don't know when it was taken, but it looks like he was the fastest of all on Monday. Uh, I know today... Uh, on the Aprilia Maverick, Vinales got onto the racetrack at some point because it, I think Aprilia is the only team left that doesn't have concessions anymore. You yeah. know, uh, because of what KTM did, they lost all theirs because they won a couple races and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. But um, so these rookies get to get out and get more time. The official test doesn't start until Saturday. Yeah, it's going to be interesting. And I know everybody's talking about just excited about Marquez coming back. Sound like he's healthy or as healthy as he. Yeah, he, he posted been. he got on a plane a couple hours ago. Did he? You know, yeah. yeah. So, uh, and it's great that these other guys have been able to get out there and get on the bikes, the the rookies. And you know, it's really weird, Greg. I, I you know, I don't know how I feel about it. I was going to ask you this question, but of the rookie class that we have right now, is there anybody that you feel is going to just jump out at you that could just be immediately successful, like going into this, like like come right out of the box and get top ten in the first race? Is there anybody that jumps out at you? Uh, the only person that really jumps out at me is probably Marco Bedzecki. Oh, no, yeah. sorry. No, I'm not. I mean, Marco is one, but obviously Fernandez. You know, I think yeah. if Raul gets gets comfortable in this, uh, the way that he was in Moto2 and how fast he came out, because he went straight from Moto3 to Moto2 one season out of MotoGP, I think, yeah. uh, I think he could definitely be a weapon. But of the other guys, I just think it's going to take Remy a little bit to get used to it. Um, I think Remy works... He works a little different than he did even when he, you know, two or three years ago. Uh, I've seen him mature a lot. Like right now, he's injured. He's got a fractured wrist, I believe. That's what I'm saying. Yes. Is that, was that motocross? I think he did it. Motocross. Yeah, moto, moto, right? Yeah. I think it was moto. But anyways, so you know, so he's going to be kind of ginger at this test, regardless. Like this one plus the next. I think he was only, I think he was only like 0.4 off of Fernandez KTM to KTM. But, um, but, Jason, wouldn't you say, though, that before we know the official results of the test and all that kind of stuff, it appears on paper that the Ducati is the best bike again, right? Well, it's going to be. There could, but I just don't see, yeah. like, the Giantonio really doing much. This is just me, like, That's what I'm speaking. saying. I don't That's really see what, him yeah. doing much. But Zeki, I actually expected more from Bedzeki last year in Moto2 than what I got out of him. I thought he would do better than he did. Yeah, I but he, don't could, know. he could Quattararo us all. You know, and, and, and that's the thing, though, is when these guys get on MotoGP bikes, they could be better, better MotoGP riders than they were Moto2 riders. You're exactly right. So, and who else? Um, who else has jumped up? Bender, Darren Bender. Yeah, Darren Bender. 
That'll oh. be interesting to see how he kind of goes. He's a big, tall kid. I think that the MotoGP bike will fit him better. Um, but he just skipped right through Moto2, not unlike what Jack Miller did many, many years ago. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to just to see which one of these rookies, like maybe at the beginning of the year, we'll make a little odds on favorite who's going to be the rookie of the year because there's like four candidates, right? Five candidates, Bender, Fernandez. Five rookies Five, yeah. Bender, Fernandez. Um, Bedzecki. Uh, yep, Gardner. Bedzecki. Antonio. And, Antonio. And, yeah, and Raul Fernandez. Yeah, and Fernandez. So, you know, it'll be interesting. There's a big rookie class, and you got to think that one of them on the Ducati will probably be the rookie of the year, I would reckon. It's either got to be him or Fernandez on the KTM. Or Fernandez or, you know, maybe Gardner if he just pulls it together. And, and I think he's going to work kind of meticulously at getting the MotoGP bike. I think the way Remy has matured, um, he doesn't seem like he's as gung-ho as he used to be. Like he's a little bit more, you know, thought process. It just kind of depends on how they structure the contract and what the expectation is. I just, I just think Remy at this point seems like he's going to take the full year to learn the bike before he goes bonkers. That seems like the new Remy. Um, yep. But the old Remy could show up. So hopefully and, hopefully that'll be fine. And there'll be places where the bike gets unloaded and they hit their marks right off the bat and he's going to be fast mm-hmm. and he's going to be... Yeah, I expect that. And I think that, um, you know, that MotoGP test next week um, will be fun to, 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 you know, to at least uh, hear about what's happening there. But knowing the way a Moto3 bike needs to be ridden, Okay. Yeah. So if you're Darren Bender and you come straight from Moto3 to MotoGP, would you agree with me that probably the best bike to do it on is either the Yamaha or the Suzuki in terms of going to a MotoGP bike and how you have to ride a Moto3 bike? I think that when you look at it, though, when you go from a Moto3 bike to a MotoGP bike, regardless of what it is, it's going to be a gigantic jump. And again, Greg, I can't stress this enough. This is where an important crew and guys around you are going to be so essential. Like, I can't say that if you put, I can't say that if you put Darren Bender on a Ducati with the right people, that he's not just going to go rip on it. I mean, I just think that he would. I think that the Ducati's a pretty, pretty solid package now. I mean, I agree. Like I guess it was kind of two the point and three was, years ago. The point but I was you, getting to the is the Yamaha like, Suzuki a little more rideable. Yeah, like, like, it would like, look like faster corner speeds, not as yeah. aggressive stopping and pointing and shooting. I know that Ducati's definitely gotten better at that, but that's what that's kind of what I was just thinking about. I think I just think though that with these bikes, um, all of the, I mean, just the braking on a MotoGP bike is so much different than Moto3 and all that. I mean, it's acceleration we know is going to be a lot different, but if it's even the braking forces that you you're put under, your body's put under such stress on the big bikes. And these days, like all the passes are really done under braking anyway. So that's right. kind of the most important part. It's where most of the feel happens and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, I mean, really, that's what Quattararo, why he did as well as he did last year is he was so good braking that, that he was able to get by a lot of those guys under, under brakes, you know, because we know how hard that bike is for guys to pass, you know, on the Yamaha. It's very difficult to go forward if you get a bad start or if you start from further back. He was the guy that was kind of able to do that. Um, and you know, what are they going to come out with? What's Yamaha going to come out with different this year to, to, to make their bike better? Suzuki, what are they going to do to get their bike better? I mean, don't you think it's like, I know, I think Gintley's testing, is he not? He is. Yeah. Yeah. So they do have somebody on the track testing, but man, Suzuki just seems so far behind in the development of the bike. And it's amazing that they do as well as they do. They've got one guy out there testing their bike and all the other manufacturers have, you know, riders out there, multiple riders testing their stuff. Yeah, so, you saw Crutchlow signed a, a two-year extension with the Yamaha team to be their test rider. So that's yeah, that's good. At least because at least it gives them consistent feedback. You know, it's Correct. not like you know the thing with Stoner is he was kind of there for a while, then he went. You know, he jumped ship, whatever, whatever. But anyway, so or the Lorenzo thing too, like that lasted like eight minutes because of COVID. Yeah, the Lorenzo thing. Yeah, but we'll break down what the what the test looks like uh, because they start Saturday and I think it's a two or three day test. So by the time we do our podcast, we'll have some good information for you on that. Uh, Jay, we mentioned earlier that obviously the world Superbike that they tested at Jerez and in that test was Anna Carrasco. Uh, you know, she's the 2018 world super sport 300 champion, but she announced that she's moving back to moto three. Now she was in moto three in 2013 to 2015. What do you think about Carrasco moving back to moto three? Do you think, 
that she obviously she's coming off of an injury. She was at that test in World Super Sport, and she was a few seconds off the pace. So I don't really put a lot into that. But what do you think about her going to Moto Three? Man, that's a big pool to jump in. You know, um, I, you know what, what's harder is World Super Sport three hundred harder or Moto Moto Three? I think Moto Three is tougher. Uh, I think Moto Three is a lot more difficult to get up front. It's if she can. If she can squeeze out some top tens, I would be like beyond impressed with that. Like, honestly, if she got top ten, I think that would be a big result. But, but Jason, in terms of like racing, right? Like, if you said I'm taking some kid from Moto America Supersport and I'm plopping him in Moto Three, it would be kind of a shocker, I think, how close you have to race to other people. But World oh. Supersport Three Hundred is very similar in terms of the amount of people in a pack, the closeness of racing. So. I think that she's definitely used to that, and she has put some aggressive moves on people the last couple of years that we've been watching her race. So I think from that bit, the racecraft bit, she's settled. She's there. I think it's just a matter of can she, like you're saying, have the speed, get the speed quick enough to be able to get herself into the front group to get into the top 10? Because you know as well as I do, you could be fast enough to be one to two seconds off the leader in your 20th in that class. Well, the hard part... The hard part is she's come back from that big injury, you know, where she where she had a back surgery, back injury, and uh, and the pace just wasn't there as consistent as it was prior to that, like for her. So, and I know that the Kawasaki team over there were big believers and really wanted to help her and really wanted to advance her and and things. Uh, and I think that injury just kind of set her back a little. Even her 600 times, and I don't know what she was on necessarily, and I don't know what she was riding the 600 for or any of that. But they weren't, they weren't like what was she like? Still five seconds off the pace, I think. Um, first first day she was seven seconds off the pace. Second day she was five seconds off. So it's not like she was setting the world on fire on the 600. I think she wanted to go move up to 600 or to the new World Supersport rules. Um, she wanted to move into Supersport this year, but you know I don't think that would have been a a very good move for her I don't think um yeah so I you know it's going to be a it's going to be a hard task whether you're going to world super sport 300 or whether you're in moto 3 both of those are they just got a bunch of killers in them that are just uh ruthless and you got all these young guys and young girls and and everybody's just ruthless in those classes well that's all the news I have presented by Arai. Yeah. do you is there anything else that, that you can think of that I forgot um you know, Greg, I haven't been on the pulse of it lately just because of how I have felt. I haven't been myself. So, um, you know, I relied on you this week a little bit for some of the news stuff. So, um, no, I, I can't think of anything else, which is going to take us right into to A2. Um, Anaheim 2 was great. I, I finally got to go to a Supercross. I was lucky. Uh, I tested negative a couple, uh, couple times before um, on Thursday and Friday. Uh, I really wanted to make it. For that because it was Simon's birthday. Uh, Simon, we all went down there together. There was a there was a group of us that you know from Chuckwalla that were able to go. And um, I haven't been to a Supercross, Greg, in well quite some time. It's been quite quite a few years, especially Anaheim. I used to go all of the time. Um, great show. Uh, Eli Tomac comes out on top. Great. I mean, I love the track. First, let's just talk about that. Most motocross, most supercross tracks that you see are in the 48 to 51 second range. This one was over a minute long, and I thought that the layout was really something good. I thought it was, I didn't get to read what the riders thought or anything like that, but I thought the layout was amazing. Tomac looked strong from the start all day, and then he got a good start as well. Tomac wins over Jason Anderson. He ends up getting into it with Roxon. Did you see that? Oh, yeah, I saw it. Yeah. But- and, I, and I haven't really got to read too much about it either. Like, I haven't really Did you get seen... to see replays of it, or did you just see it live? I saw it live. I haven't got to see a replay of it yet. But, I, I, I mean, I, I, I did. So, I did, but I, yeah. Yeah, so right-hand corner. In the sand. Out, you know, uh, Anderson's coming up the inside. Uh, Roxon's on the outside. It was, honestly, it looked more like a racing incident than anything else to me. And Jason Anderson went over and apologized. He was kind of ripping up the inside, and the bike kind of jumped to the outside. And they were both accelerating at the same time, but Anderson's line just took him right in front. And Jason was probably, let's just say, an entire wheel length in front of Ken. 
but Ken had zero time to check up. Like it wasn't one of Can those. Can I ask you a question about it since you saw it? Yeah. You know, when they manufacture those sand sections, it's mm-hmm. almost like to me from what from where I was sitting, it, it almost looked like when they ran into each other, it sent Ken off the edge of the sand. And yeah, put he him was kind of he was riding around the out like the outside, outside. edge of the sand. Yeah, and there was like a berm on the in, like the inside. But the, if you look at the way that the lines, both lines, exited out of there, they yep. crossed each other. So that's right. It, it that was the my problem. question to you, Greg, is if there was another fifteen feet of sand to the left of Roxon, do you think he would have fallen? Yeah, he would have fallen. Okay, they, he, Jason clobbered him pretty hard. Okay, got yeah, it, got yeah, it. Yeah. it. But it was so. it was an acceleration clobber. It wasn't a a, a, a breaking. I'm gonna park you taking yeah. out move it was a, and i think that that's probably it's something that you that we've seen in road racing before you know like these acceleration deals where two lines just kind of come together come, come together yeah. and i think that we don't see that very often in supercross so it kind of caught a lot of people out and i think a lot of speculation but you know and look and i'm not an expert uh, i don't claim to be an expert especially in racing but to me just observing it seeing it live and in, in real time i go ooh, that's just a racing incident because you yeah. also i don't remember seeing jason's Anderson's head turning and looking at rocks and like it was filthy. Right. And in yeah, those and moments, he apologized, they're hard to hide. And, but it's like, it's kind of, and I'm a huge Jason Anderson fan, but it's kind of the same guys each week that we talk about getting into these like little, it's him, it's Barsha, it's, you know, Freezy, uh, you know, it's kind of the same guys each week, but but they're racing hard and the, and it's going to be a hard championship. So Anderson second, um, Sexton third, another solid performance from him. But hold on, Anderson was second because he was leading the race, and then he yeah he was leading stalled. It, yeah. He stalled, had a bobble, and then Tomac went by, and that was the end of it. Like once Tomac got the lead, it was like well he was just yeah. relentless. He kept pounding out the laps. It wasn't like he was a lot faster than Anderson. Anderson kind of kept him honest, and with like four to go, Anderson made like a little push, and but Tomac was just strong. I mean, Tomac just looked like Tomac can look at certain times. And then, you know, next week he could finish eighth and we could be here scratching our heads. So what's he got? He's gone six four two one, has Tomac to lead the championship. So I'm pretty saying, solid effort. Say that again. Six four two one. Six, four, two, one. It yeah, kind of good. feels in a way that this, and it, it, it kind of looked like it too in Winter Circle, that it this could be the beginning of a run for him, for Tomac. Well, you say that. I still think Anderson's going to have a lot to say in it. And I think the guy in fourth place is going to have a lot to say for it, too. Wasn't Ferrandis in fourth? I think Dylan Ferrandis was fourth. I know you got the results pulled up. Yeah, Ferrandis fourth. Ferrandis Malcolm, fourth. Malcolm was fifth. And I and I was so bummed for Malcolm because he got the start he wanted. He was up in that front two or three guys and just kind of got shuffled back to fifth. And he's taking a lot of, not heat, but he's kind of got that fourth to seventh place thing locked. Everybody wants to see him make that next little jump. And uh, but Malcolm rode really well to get you know to get fifth. A couple guys that really shocked me were uh, were Cooper Webb, honestly finishing eighth. That's a little weird to me. Um, you know, he tipped I would off, expect. Though. Remember, he he did he fell over. He did. Yep, he he did. And but, but how uh, often think... do you see him tuck the front and fall over? Like not in many. A, in a real small, tight left. I saw him do it. Um, well, I saw him picking his bike up. Um, and I think Barsha came through the pack to end up seventh. I think it was. So and who was sixth, Greg? I can't remember who sixth was. Um, Moosecan. Moosecan. That's right. So so it's really interesting because um, the racing this year is a little bit closer. It's a lot better. Uh, they go off to Phoenix this weekend. I think, I think so. it's Phoenix. Yeah. Phoenix this week. And and when you start talking about the 250 stuff, um, Mike Moseman, I got to give that guy a big shout out. Loved watching the interview with him a couple of weeks ago. Made me kind of an instant fan. Then he went on to win. And then this week he ends up second. But he kept he kept Christian Craig pretty honest. Christian Craig, did you see his pre-race accident like from the press day on Thursday? No. Friday? Mm-hmm. I, the fact that he was even racing... You need to go pull it up, probably on okay. his Instagram. His accident was so gnarly. You know how they have the big nets on the outside of the berms? Yeah. He basically ghost rode into one of those. Oh. Like full-blown. And the fact that he didn't get hurt bad enough, because that's kind of unfortunate. Didn't he fall been... off, though, the week before, didn't he? So he's probably pretty banged up right now. Well, and he rode really well. Like, he, yeah. he is so fast, so much faster than everybody through the through the whoops, that if he gets a decent start, and is in that top three or four, um, five, he can literally wait to the whoops every lap and then just go ripping by guys. And uh, so as far as all that goes, I think that he, um, uh, you know, this is his championship to lose. But Moseman rode really well, and I expect him to help maybe win another race this year. 
Yeah, I mean, for Hunter Lawrence, you know, in that championship, there are four races into a 10-race championship, and there's only been one race that Hunter Lawrence has outscored Christian Craig, and that was in San Diego, and it was only two points. But Hunter and Lawrence... And it was because Christian Craig was... got taken out at the start. Exactly. And Lawrence just doesn't have the pace. Like, even this weekend, Vince Friese was ahead of him for nearly the whole race. And then, I don't know if you saw the accident, but the fact that Vince Friese actually got up, your boy Joe Shimoda was coming through the whoops right behind him him and just tagged him in the head as hard as you could, pretty much as hard as you could do it. And I watched Friese get up. And I I don't know Vince Friese. I just know what I've read about him. I felt bad for the guy because he's he's riding really well and he's he deserves a podium. And he was running a pretty solid third. And those guys, both Lawrence and Shimoda, were catching him late. And uh, Lawrence went by him. And then he got a little bit squirrely and... He was right in the path of Shimoda. There was nothing that Shimoda I heard. Could do. All all that happened for Vince Friese was a couple of stitches too. That's pretty. Is that right? Very lucky. Amazing. Like this kind of thing where you could see the guy like biting through his lip or you know biting into his tongue or just that kind of shot that he took to the head. Um, you know, so the fact that he was okay and up and walking around was you know I think we were all thankful for that. Well, Supercross has been great so far this season. Great. Let's let's, let's move over. <laughs> let's move over. Let, Super, Supercross and fantasy, fantasy has not been so good. All right. So yeah. First of all, let's just go over the the overall results, okay? Because uh, right before this podcast happened, uh, I was on the phone with Chuck Axland, and Chuck requested that we not talk about the fact that he has lost the lead in the Greg's Garage Pod uh, Pulp MX Fantasy. He said, "You're not going to talk about that, right?" And I was like. No, we're talking about it. Oh, we are oh, definitely. Yeah. He's like, it's only two points. I'm like, no, no, no. We're talking about it. So yeah. El Cap, who we have seen time and time again the last couple of years on top, you know, on the top of uh, the Greg's Garage Pod, Pulp MX Fantasy, um, is now leading by two points. Right behind him in third is let's go, let's go, Brandon. Yeah, which, which great name. Um, Huckleberry Racing. I'm being sarcastic. Hucklebuck. Hucklebuck Racing. Yeah. Yeah. And then. Uh, Everest Grant, MG55, your boy. All right, now here's, here's the thing. All right, let's, let's, let's go ahead and talk about Uncle Skip is in 10th place, right? He, he dropped backwards. We didn't have to listen to the Asklins bragging to us this week right. about both of them being in the top six or eight or whatever they were. They both, well, they stunk like I did. But the good news is this. Okay, the good news is, is that I moved up to 44th while you slid yeah. down to 48th. behind you. It's, That's dude, just, it's it warms depressing. my heart. No, I mean, just... Oh, my God. I'm so happy about this because let me tell you what happened, okay? I I w- knew I was going to be on the air until probably 30 minutes before the deadline is over. So you have to get your picks in for Pulp MX before the evening program starts. If you're in California, okay. that's 7 yep. o'clock. If you're on the East Coast, it's 10 o'clock. Yeah. So I was like, okay, I've got to set an alarm because I know I'm going to be off the air probably at like 9.30, 9.15, and I've got to get my picks Got to do it right in. away. Wow. Right. So normally I go, okay, let me take a look at qualifying sheets. Let me see, blah, 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 blah. You know, I, I do put some effort into it, and obviously I've sucked uh, up to Maybe that's point. what our problem is, yeah. Oh, Jason, you have no idea. So yeah. we get off the air, and now I'm with all these archery people, and we're hanging out. And then my friend Chris Schaff, who is his son, uh, hill climbs at five years old. His daughter's three. She hill climbs. He he motos and you know does the Stasic stuff. And he's totally into it. I mean, every week I see him, he's like, "Dude, you gonna get me Supercross tickets?" I'm like, "I don't even know what that means." But Chris says to me at nine fifty eight, while we we're sitting oh, at the table, he says, "Did you get those get Supercross picks in?" Because oh. he does RM Fantasy, and I, Jason, I wish he was shooting it. I went, "Oh shit." And I rip my phone open, and it's already 9.58. Now, I don't know if it's if it's 10 seconds to 9.59. I don't know if yeah. it's 30 seconds. to I'm like, I literally don't know. So I open it up, and luckily, I already have a browser open. I always have it open on, on Pulp. So I refresh. The team comes up, and I sort by who made it, and then I sort really quick by handicap. And I go, uh, 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 this guy, uh, this guy. This guy, this guy, and then I ripped to 450, did the same thing. This guy, oh this guy, God. it saved with 22 seconds left. And you killed it. I'm looking at your team right now. I killed it. And you just killed I went, it. I went P9 in our group of 250 people. That's I went, pretty good. I went P9, and I got, let's see. I'm pulling up oh, Anaheim, 252 too. points. I got you. 252 yeah, 252 points. and 270 led the way. Steven, 1975, and let's go Brandon at 270. Amazing. 
Yeah. Yep. Morbidly and obese. And me, on the other hand, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who I pick. It don't matter. They're going to crash. They're going down. It's going to be. A, I had. I've. I've yet to have eight people. Jason, this I, year. I still don't know who I picked. Did all? All eight must have gotten in, right? I they guess. all killed it. They all killed it. Yeah, I'm looking at you right now. You, oh yeah. You, oh my god. Your lowest scoring point total was 26, which it was Christian Craig and Cole Thompson. Yeah. yeah, you killed it. Like you just killed it. Solid. So, you had Tomac with 26. I mean, yeah, you killed it. So yeah, it was pretty good. Anyways, I'm I didn't glad have any you're big, not I didn't have any big movers bad. like any 52 pointers or whatever. But what was funny is we're all texting, you know, in our little group text, and Skip and I, I couldn't believe I beat Skip and Chuck this week with six riders. And <laughs> and they're like, congrats, JP. And I'm like, well, we don't know how G Dub did. And then I get a text back, yeah, G Dub smoked us all. Yeah, I'm like, I, oh. Well, because like, I I picked my teams, and by 10:30 I had to be in bed because I was. We'd gotten done at like 9:15 or 9:30. We'd been on the air since one o'clock in the afternoon. I was in the booth the whole time, so my brain was fried. And then we had to be on air again at eight o'clock in the morning, and I didn't finish until almost four o'clock. So it was, yeah. it was, I've never done that before in my career and I hope I never do it again. Yeah, that's brutal. I, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, it's fun to be able to be there. It's fun to be able to watch things. And this time when guys failed, I was in the stand so I could actually throw things at them, which was perfect. So, <laughs> You're such you a know, dope. Shut you up. Know. Um, You're too much of a bitch. But hey, some, some guys really suffered this week though. Like Andrew Lee, he oh, went yeah? straight backwards. Our boy, our boy Dougie. Dougie was like running second before the weekend, and now he is wherever he's at. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, so I have to send a shout out though to our nineteenth place, currently nineteenth place in the Greg's Garage Pod League. Which, by the way, you can still join us. You know what I mean? Have some fun because we we'll look at it week to week. And even though you might not be in for the overall, which is a, a new Arai helmet, you the winner of this league is going to win themselves the VX Pro Four motocross helmet. Uh, even if, if you're a Barsha fan, maybe get the Barsha replica. But uh, beat JP forty three is nineteenth. So another. This just oh. this is the gift that keeps giving. This week, yeah. It's, week. it's and then next a, week. You know, I'm gonna a, be like, oh my god, Tom Brady retired a, and I suck it. It's been a bad run. It's been a bad run of the whole, even from last you know MotoGP. But like Nick Siling was way off on this one. There, there was some big movers and shakers. Now in our Rocky Mountain deal i even stunk there because i was leading i think going into it mm. and now glenwood's leading that over ac and dude i can't even hardly bring myself to do this yeah but i it's a what you know it's 10 o'clock 10 o'clock at night um you know, like nine o'clock whatever at night during the supercross race and it's tomac anderson and sexton one two three and i get a text from caroline Guess who she's got for first, second, and third? No, stop. Oh yeah. So she ended up in that oh, deal. Yeah, yeah she, she's she up she to scored third. She scored seventy points. Oof. She jumped up to third, so she jumped ahead of me and I'm fourth, which yeah, Daytona eighty five, one of our regulars, he's right there. And Anthony's there. I'm just looking at all the Well, Johnny G-dub. Ray, Jonathan Ray, who's in our in that pool. And by the way, the pool we're talking about is RM Supercross Fantasy. You heard me talk about it at the beginning of the podcast. If you're part of our Patreon crew, uh, you know, where you're supporting the podcast, you'll see the password to the league there and you can participate in that. Especially if you're already in there, uh, you just jump into the league. You don't have to start fresh. But um yeah, Johnny, Johnny Ray it. I haven't even asked him if he's changed his team, but right now he's. I, it looks like he probably did. He's 16th right now in yeah. our league, tied with Kilroy. So our boy. Yeah. So, anyways, Moto America, uh, America Chuck stinks at 20th. And see, Chuck stinks at this one. Stay, Everest now, Grant, but plus they're Steve way English. back in this. Dude, one. we got to say something about Steve English. He was leading this thing, and now he has slid all the way oh, back to 18th place. Play? Let's see. He had Barsha winning. I mean. Come on, English. Stick to just stick to Jay. I never got my RM picks in because by the time <laughs> I got the pulp done, so my team rolled over. And if you remember last week, I told you my wild card was was Adam C and Cirillo, who's now out for the rest of the season. Oh my God! So you my, picked him here too. Well, I didn't have a choice. It just rolled over, you know. But you had Anderson, Sexton, Stewart. You still you still scored more points than I did, and you didn't even put a team in. <laughs> and so. that was rollover. Nice work. Like, like I think my strategy is going to be set an alarm for two minutes before. 
the deadline and just yeah. just have at it because it, it and paid wing off. at it. Yeah, just no wing doubt. It, man. No doubt. Instead of doing yeah. all this analysis, I don't know. It's crazy. I hope you joined us. All right, leagues. it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, let, hey, I'll do it this time, Greg. Go ahead. Next week, we got more Supercross and what other news we can drum up. So hopefully there's going to be some stuff coming and maybe we'll do a little pre-moto GP test or something. You know what I mean, Greg? Um, we'll be doing the Pulp Fantasy League. Sign up free at www. Did I say that? Pulp Fantasy, PulpMXFantasy.com uh, backslash leagues, Greg's Garage. If you look at us up there, you'll find us. And again, like Greg said, join join us to, to play some fantasy. It's actually fun. Uh, there's a link in the description. This year's prize, as Greg said, is the motocross helmet from Arai. Um, Greg, what are you thinking about next week? What are we, when are we going to do this? Can we do it Tuesday? What's your week looking like? My week. I next can do it. Week, I can do it. Any. I'm back at 4 p.m. on Monday. So because I so have Tuesday that. or Wednesday next week, we're going to be doing this. It's perfect. It might be my last week because uh, the following week I'll be at Chuck, so I'll probably have to do the podcast there. So. Let's do a little search and we'll see if we can find somebody to get on here this next week. You want to do it live or do you want me to do it where I pre-record it? And then We're going to do it live! It? One of our favorite <laughs> sound bites ever. You didn't do it right. Why don't you, do it? Let's, why don't you do it right and see if you get fired? No, I can't, I, can't, I, I can't do it. Fudge yeah. it! Fudge it! Yeah. We'll do Fudge it live! It. We'll do it live! <laughs> Anyways. Um, well, thanks again, G-Dub. As I know, safe travels and all that to Vegas. Be safe. Don't spend all your money. And uh, we'll talk to everybody next week. No, no, no. No, you got to do it better than that because I'm competing too, dude. So you got to say like mm. win and shoot straighter. You know what I mean? Oh, like, my God. Like I need, I need help, dude. Like I need help from the universe. Hey, G-Dub, good uh, luck, G-Dub. <laughs>